0: I thought that it was normal to grow up with a preacher who didn't carry an English Bible, because that's all I knew. So, um, you know, what's normal for one person may be completely out of left field for another group of people, and especially when you take a person, you know, raised at one congregation, trying to lead in a different setting. And that goes beyond just what your preacher was like. I mean, there's all the different size dynamics of large churches and small churches, and you know, all the theological nuances. You know, there's uh, there's just a lot of stuff to sort out there.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to Faith in the Folds, a podcast for ministry, biblical studies, and Christian living. I'm your host, Kevin Burr. Today I got to talk with Mark Adams, preaching minister for the King's Crossing Church of Christ in Corpus Christi, Texas, a lifelong friend of mine and peer mentor. Mark and I grew up at the same church back in Nashville, Tennessee. He was my first camp counselor. I worked with him as a youth intern for two summers, and now we're co-workers here down in Corpus Christi. I asked Mark what's one piece of advice he'd give young ministers. And in the course of our conversation, he shared several great ideas, not just for ministers, but anyone wanting to grow in discipleship. We talked about the necessity to invest in others and in yourself and the grave dangers of overwork, something that seems like it's a bit of a virtue, but really has serious detrimental effects on ourselves and our relationships. I hope you'll be challenged and encouraged by our conversation. If you enjoy the kinds of conversations we're having on the podcast, would you be willing to like and subscribe to us, and maybe share us with someone you think might benefit from this? And as always, thank you all so much for tuning in today. Mark, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. We are in studio. This is a real treat to be able to record with you here in person in what we're affectionately now referring to as the studio, which is usually called my office. Um, But anyway, I'm glad you're able to join us today. Before we get into our topic, I do want to ask, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? How'd you get involved in ministry? How long have you been in ministry? Uh, Basically, give us the 10 peso version (laughs) 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 of what
0: got us into all this. Yeah, you know, it's a a weirder question to answer than it used to be, because it has, like, I've been in ministry for a while now. Mm -hmm. But, um, well, I guess we should say, for the sake of those listening, you and I have known each other for at least your entire life. I'm right, five yeah. years older than you. We yeah. both grew up at the Donaldson Church of Christ in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And um, as far as my like path into ministry, um, so I, I went into Harding. I, I guess we came from a church where the ministers were so like professionalized. Yeah, like we had a bunch of and, and like professors the best and, profs- in the best possible sense. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. Like really, really talented. Uh, people. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm a kid coming out of high school. I don't know anything. Right. So um, I was looking at church involvement and truthfully, like throughout my life, I kind of thought about like it would be neat to be able to serve in a church. In fact, mm-hmm. I have now at my house, um, my great grandfather, um, when I was like two years old, built me a podium because I, from the time I was like little a bitty, I have my own pulpit <laughs> and it's there in my, it's at my, it's at my house now. Yeah. But I um, I always wanted to be a song leader. Mm-hmm. And Jim Biffle had been our song leader and he oh, always man. had the way he did his hands and I would stand there and do my yeah, hand and yeah. like, so yeah, it's like, it's. I couldn't begin to tell you when I started to feel some sort of call on my life towards uh, church involvement and in ministry, mm-hmm. But I went into Harding, and what I was intending to do, they had a thing where you could add a few extra Bible hours and do a second major in vocational ministry. Right. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, I don't have any idea what I'm going to major in, but I am going to do a second major in vocational ministry because I would like to be an asset to, to whatever church yeah. you know I attend one day when I'm graduated from yeah. here. And so I also had grown to where I really disliked it when people would start talking about the Bible, and it was like, um, what does this verse mean I don't know like well what does that translation say or what does that translation say and I didn't like being dependent on other people to interpret scripture for me yeah I knew I wanted some better tools and so I actually started off freshman year at Harding taking Greek and because uh, I really wanted to learn it yeah. and and so uh, there's a lot of things that was that's been helpful to me over the years
1: I wonder how much of an influence to that guys like Bob Hendren had. Yeah. I, I was a little young when he wrapped up his tenure at Donaldson, but yeah. you would have remembered him a little bit better. I was about nine I'm, or 10 years old. Uh, yeah. For folks who don't know, what was it about Bob's preaching
0: sure. that might lead you to be interested in New Testament right. Greek? So, so I, yeah, I grew up with a preacher who never carried an English Bible. <laughs> and in fact, you know, at Donaldson, Bob uh, taught Greek classes. So there's a number of members still active at Donaldson mm-hmm. who in the late 70s, early 80s, learned Greek from Bob Hendren. Yeah. And uh, you know these are not people who have professional seminary training. They're just right. church members who studied Greek, learned Greek. So I guess that was just part of our church culture, that we really valued scholarship. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, for me, that was actually a pretty normal thing to pursue. And uh, but I guess uh, I need to cut ahead, though, to, the, to your actual question of, like, how do I get into, into ministry from there? Yeah. So I wanted to be an asset to churches. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any idea what I wanted to major in. And it got to, to be the case that it was like, I just couldn't find anything that interested me other than the Bible courses and the ministry courses and the theology courses. And so I didn't think there was any chance I would have a career in ministry. In fact, I ended up doing a, um, a minor in a computer science. For a while I was doing a second major in IT and kind yeah. of landed, you know, fortunately cut that back some and just turned it into a computer science minor. But um, yeah, so so I was I was learning the languages stuff, and I got far enough along that it was like, might as well just finish this out and make it a full degree because i've done the hours and then i had to do a youth ministry internship in sarasota florida and i thought as a teenager i didn't really relate to my peers that well and i i don't think i'm going to be good at youth ministry and went down there and it's like the church just affirmed me so many different ways Um, they're very encouraging You know, they would speak highly of like, you know, whatever lesson attempt I would make, you know, I didn't have any idea what I was doing, but um, they were so affirming of me and encouraging. And along the way, also some experiences like on a a mission trip, Uh, there was like some guy that I really looked up to who was a few years older than me. And. He paid me some very specific compliments on things related to, like, ministry and uh, potential leadership. And mm-hmm. um, anyway, just over time, I guess it's like the church affirmed me in enough ways that I started to see that, hey, I didn't completely fail at this. And, you know, maybe maybe there's some place for me. Yeah. And uh, as I graduated from Harding, I was actively applying, like, I needed to stay in Searcy because now my, my wife, Carolina, Carolina was doing a master's degree there in business. Yeah. And so I needed to stay in Searcy. So I was applying at Walmart, McDonald's. I was just trying to get a job. And I was talking to a, a guy named Heath in one of my computer science classes as I was getting close to graduating. And I said, do you know anybody who's hiring? He said, you mean churches? I was like, church would be like a pipe dream. I just need a, just need a job. Yeah. And um, But he, he told me about his church, the Rosebud Church of Christ. And... Uh, there's a whole other story with how that all kind of worked itself out. But but yeah, basically, it's like uh, God just kind of dropped that in my lap. It ended up being a great fit. Um, I preached for them for three and a half years before we took a job at Old Hickory mm-hmm. in Nashville where you and I got to work together. Yeah, As it turns out, not for the last not time. Not for the last
1: time.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> right. So yeah, that, that was kind of my path. I think a lot of what led me that direction was I, I did have something in my heart that wanted it, but uh, it was really the church, you know, different members of the church, you know, saying affirming things and pointing out what they saw as strengths that, that over time, I I got my confidence up a little bit more. Yeah. I love
1: this idea that you you wanted additional training, not because you knew that you were going to be a minister, but because you wanted to be an asset to right. whatever church you would land at. Right. Man, that's that's a... That's a really good thing that I think I think a lot of the a lot of Christian colleges c- could really kind of you know focus on for folks like hey, you know, we know you don't all need to be Bible majors, that's fine, right but like if you are planning at all to stay in any kind of church setting, you know having some knowledge of of scripture and and how it works and how to understand it and how to apply it and
0: Congregational dynamics and things like that, that's super useful. I think a lot of people don't realize this, but if you go to one of our private Christian universities and even take some basic Bible courses, you know, you and I grew up in kind of the buckle of the Bible belt in Mm -hmm. Nashville, Tennessee. But for people in church settings not like Nashville or not close to one of our universities, yeah, if you're a person who went to one of the Christian colleges and studied under a couple of good professors, you're functionally one of the experts at the congregation. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's... it's, a it's, it's, not and, a, yeah. it's not
1: a stretch to say that, like you, have right. gotten more training. Um, yes, you know, especially if you've gotten had good professors, you've gotten yep. more, you know, like in terms of uh, quantity and quality, right. better training than a lot of folks have. Right. Yeah. Well, so. When did you first start at Rosebud? What year was yeah, that? Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Putting the dates on it. This is the weird part. I start. I started. Now I had done, you know, internship and some other stuff prior to this. But yeah. yeah I started preaching there in January of two thousand and four. Okay. So, how I'm terrible at math, Kevin. You know, I'm a. Your a Bible major. Not you only twenty deals, years. Yeah, you only deal with numbers like you know twelve, seven, forty, six, sixty-six. <laughs> you know, like I don't deal with these this stuff. But yeah, yeah. I'm whatever I am 16 17 years into this it's yeah. mind-blowing is it doesn't feel like it right
1: it, it's interesting to think that um, you know, like I have I have a nephew who's 16 years old so like right around the time that he was being born <laughs> like you were you were just getting your start out at Rosebud right all right so you're at Rosebud for a little while then uh, Old Hickory Church of Christ uh, which is on the north side of Nashville for those mm-hmm. who aren't uh, aren't familiar. And then you've been here at the King's Crossing Church of Christ in Corpus Christi, Texas for
0: about six ish years. Six years also. and some change. Yeah, September of 2014 is when I got started here. Yeah,
1: okay. All right. So it's fair to say that you are it, you're not like a, a veteran minister of like 20, 30 years, right. or, you know, pretty close to 20, actually. So like yeah. 30 or 40 years, like some of these guys that you and I know and, and have studied under. But you're definitely not young in the sense of inexperienced and brand new at this. You're not a rookie. No. Yeah. You are like 39, 40? I'm 40. Oh, man. Thanks, Kev. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Marcus H. of the Young Ministers Network, right. a, a, a tract of lectures that I help uh, direct and coordinate at Harding University right. Lectureship. Uh, yes. I just wanted Mark to know that uh, that we're going to miss you. <laughs> we uh, I don't know that we ever got you.
0: <laughs> I was pretty much aged out by the time you started it. Right? So. Yeah, it was yeah. like two
1: years ago. Last year we didn't weren't able to do lectureship there. Right. But um, maybe we can make an exception. Like everybody gets like a red shirt year for like okay. twenty twenty. Okay. okay, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what they say about that. But you've been doing ministry for a while now, right. uh, coming up on two decades. Yeah. And so what's been fun about being able to do this podcast with, um, with friends and colleagues is that I've been able to ask some guys who are you know, veterans in ministry, what's one piece of advice you'd be able to give young ministers? I've been able to also ask some other younger guys, what's something you've learned in your yeah. you know, five, seven, ten years of ministry? I, I could really pitch a version of that question to you, because I think you've kind of got a foot in both camps there. Right. So to get down to it with what we're going to do today, what's what's one thing that you say that you would say has really benefited your work in ministry wherever you've been?
0: Yeah. So um, I'll point to this as something I've been learning as I go and, and something that's I think I've gotten better at over time. But um I guess the way that I would introduce this, uh, I was thinking about a conversation that we had a few weeks ago, and at this point we're coworkers. You know, we, yeah. work, we both work together here at Kings Crossing, and I was here in the studio, and uh, <laughs> right. I remember yeah. I mentioned to you that one of the elders had—I don't know if it was a text or a quick phone call. He said, "Hey Mark, are you in today?" And I said, "Yeah." He said, "Hey." There's something I need to talk to you about. Can I drop by and, and let's have a visit? Yeah, it was super vague, sure. super ambiguous. Yeah. Like, that. like that, that was all he said. Yeah, and I remember I just kind of casually mentioned to you, oh, yeah, so-and-so is coming to talk to me in my office. And you kind of hesitated and looked at me and said, does that, does that make you anxious? I was like, no. He said, well, do you know why he's coming to talk to you? I said, no. That doesn't, like, concern you a little bit? Like, you were kind of feeling anxiety yeah. on my behalf, but I yeah. wasn't having any, any right. anxiety yeah. Either. Yeah, and so um, it, it was you know a pleasant conversation. But mm-hmm. what I'm think what I'm thinking about, um, and I also think like the position that I'm in at this stage in my life, and I hate to talk about ministry as a career, but I don't know what other word to use. But like at, th- at this stage in my my life of of ministry, I think it is useful to have people. Giving you advice, who are sometimes way, way further down the road than you. But mm-hmm. a lot of times, it's also nice to hear from someone who's just maybe a couple of steps ahead of you. Yeah. And I think I can still speak to a to kind of like the new ministers in this in this regard. Yeah. Because uh, I'm not I'm not much past this phase. Mm-hmm. But I think a real common struggle for uh, ministers and especially our relationship to uh, elders is. Um, the, the power dynamics there that are kind of unavoidable, right? Like mm-hmm. as much as I would love to say that I am purely just friends with the elders and I have a really good relationship with our elders here. Um, there's just, there's very few times where that little thought doesn't at least go off in my head that this, this guy, you know, is kind of an authority figure for me, uh, has a lot of influence over my family's being. Um, you know, there's just it's impossible for those power dynamics yeah. not to somewhat be in play anytime the, you're talking.
1: The worst possible example of that is these guys could fire me today. Exactly. If yeah. you don't it, like, if you don't have some kind of contract, right? So, like, right. I, I know some churches do that, but like, it, it, the worst possible manifestation right. of of that power dynamic is right. like, if, if if they said, okay, yeah,
0: mm-hmm. it, it's been real, but you got to yeah. go. Right. It's like right. that can happen. It, it, do, it does happen, yeah. and so I think. Um, what I'd like to share is what has helped me get to a point where I don't live with that kind of anxiety. Like yeah. I do think it's possible to get to a place where your relationship with your elders, your fellow uh, ministry staff, and you know, hopefully quite a few members of the congregation, like I think it's possible to get to the point that you don't have to constantly worry about that. And so uh, to kind of get into how this works, um, l- let's be honest, especially those of us who are younger in ministry— we all have a need for growth. Sure. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. um, sometimes people pay me compliments where it's like, they want to pay you a compliment, but they also know it sounds a little insulting to say, man, you've gotten so much better than you were five years ago. sounds <laughs> it like a backhanded compliment. Well, I mean, but that. it kind of is, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it, it is the implication that, you know, you're better now than you were then. Yeah. And yeah, back then I'd I did have some room for improvement as well.
1: My I wife am. gives me yeah. that compliment a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Yes,
0: yes, but, but um, I think that's a, a fair thing though. And I also would say my goal is that five years from now, someone could say the very same thing looking at the work I'm doing now. You know, Mark, you've continued getting better at understanding the congregation at how you communicate your message from the word, uh, the way that you care for people. I would love it to be the case that um, like sanctification is a real thing. Like I'm continually (laughs) being right. right, Like I'm continually being formed by the, by the spirit of Christ alive in me and that I am growing in my love. I'm growing in my dedication and that I am a better um, you know, mirror of the image of Christ. Yeah. So I think growth is something that we desire, but I think one of the hardest conversations for anyone is how do you talk to someone about the fact that they need to grow?
1: <laughs> right? Like, because the implication is you see some, some deficiency right, in in what they're doing. Right. And it's not to say that they're necessarily doing something bad or wrong. It's yeah. just that
0: like, you know,
1: there is room for improvement here, yeah. are
0: some ways. This, this, something about what you're doing is not going as well as it could be going, right? Yeah, and truthfully, all of us have blind spots, mm. I mean, we just do, you know, because of you know, mentioning our upbringing. I mean, how many I thought that it was normal to grow up with a preacher who didn't carry an English Bible, right? Because that's all I knew, yeah. So, um what's normal for one person may be completely out of left field for another group of people. And especially when you take a person, you know, raised at one congregation trying to lead in a different Mm. setting. And that goes beyond just what your preacher was like. I mean, there's all the different size dynamics of large churches and small churches and, you know, all the theological nuances, you know, there's, uh, there's just a lot of stuff to sort out there. And so uh, one thing that is, I guess it's kind of a long introduction into what I want to talk about. But um, one thing I'd like to share a practice that has helped me make substantial progress in um, creating spaces where uh, I'm able to be open and honest with the people that I'm working with. And it doesn't create conflict and doesn't create uh, you know, additional tension much of the time. Yeah. 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 And so um, what I started doing a few years ago, um, looking at myself... Um, I was working on a process called a rule of life, which mm-hmm. is like a, a spiritual formation term where you're trying to set specific strategies for, you know, what am I going to do this year daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annually? You know, what is my plan for how I'm going to try to let God work on me yeah. and help me grow over cool. this year? I try to do that every year. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, one of the things someone challenged me on, I would put together my strategy and I thought this thing is, man, this is good. And I showed it to this guy who was a classmate at the time. And I said, hey, look this over for me. See what you think about it. And I'm thinking, nice work. And what he said is, hey, this is fine. There's not a single thing you have on this list that involves other human beings. Fascinating. Yeah. So, like I'm a a hardcore introvert. And so (laughs) that's all the stuff I wanted to do. It was just more time in solitude and reading things and praying by myself. And you, you need to do something for your spiritual growth that involves another human being. That is fascinating. And so... Are you yeah. willing to say who that was, or do you remember? Uh, n- I don't remember the guy's name. Okay. It was just some random person I had a class with when I was uh, working on my master's degree.
1: Random guy? Prompts to
0: you. Yeah, I think <laughs> his name was Robert, but um, I can't remember his last name. Okay. But um, anyway, it, it was a good observation. So somehow, I, I don't remember the point at which this completely shifted, but uh, I've learned that meal times are just good times to connect with people in general. I think most of the productivity that happens... In my ministry, happens usually meeting with someone over lunch or for breakfast or coffee yeah. or something. Just yeah. it's a good space to talk, mm-hmm. and so I started this discipline where um, every year I will try to select. When I've had more time, I've actually chosen two individuals. I would try to pick one who could be kind of a mentor figure to me and a second who is more of a peer or maybe someone i was kind of helping along yeah but i would get these two people i would talk to them around october november and say hey for the next year i would like for you and me to pick a day of the month you know based on your schedule i'm a minister i'm a little more flexible so let's say third thursday of every month i'm putting it on my calendar setting reminders you and me are going to go to lunch somewhere and when we go to lunch Um, maybe we talk shop a little bit, but really the point of this is to help each other grow spiritually. Mm -hmm. So I want us to be open with each other. I want us to pray with each other and for each other. And uh, let's just have a year of really trying to be spiritual companions like, let's, let's make it spiritual, not just talk about small talk, the weather, sports, whatever. Like let's, let's really make sure we continue to go there. Uh, I've never had anyone who didn't take that as a wonderful compliment that I invited them to do something like that. That's great. And so in general, that's wonderful for your relationship with anybody you're doing that with. (laughs) If you've spent a year actively getting with another person for, you know, an hour, hour and a half at a time to share your lives, pray for each other, like good bonding happens there. But another shift I made once I started doing this was I thought, whoever it is that I'm connecting with, One of those two people for me, and for a while it's gotten to where I really just have had time to meet with one regularly, but uh, I said, I'm going to let that person be an elder. Mm -hmm. And um, frankly, if you're starting with this discipline, uh, maybe it's dangerous to say this out loud, but I would recommend start with the elder that you have the hardest time relating to. Okay. Why is that? Um, Because, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a foundational thing of good leadership is that whenever you feel an inclination to put up a wall with someone, it means you need to get to know them better. Mm. Right. So it's it's a, it's a kind of a discipline to practice. But I have to tell you, like uh, at, at our congregation here at King's Crossing, um, most of the elders who hired me, you know, you have your tryout Sunday. I, I hate that terminology, <laughs> but yeah. um, not many times in my life have I just like really hit it out of the park. But it was like, I could tell it went pretty well. Yeah. And um, all the other elders were just saying, oh man, yeah, you're the guy. I, mm. Whatever it's going to take to get you here. Yeah, we can't wait to get you started. <laughs> and then this one who was like, you know it wasn't bad. But um man, this is this is going to be a hard decision. I wish we could hire you and the other guy who's also in the running, you know, but I don't guess that'll work, but man, like, uh, it's, this is going to be a tough decision. That same elder trying to do the same thing with me, but I already <laughs> knew there was nobody else in the running. <laughs> yeah. It was too so, late. Cause I already knew. Right. And I maybe that's a wise thing on his part to help me from getting my ego too inflated. But, sure, but yeah. at the time, anyway, there was just, there were a couple of other things where I just kind of wasn't getting him. And so, yeah. um, that was, and I think that's probably the best way
1: it wasn't yeah. like you, like you had. serious negative experiences no 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 negative experiences Yeah, it it was like you're running on different wavelengths or like
0: you you weren't getting maybe each other each other's sense of humor or whatever it was yeah Yeah. but i mean you really do with a lot of people you kind of have to get to know them before you understand how to take what they say and what they mean and what their intentions are and so um so i would recommend if you're getting this practice started if there's one elder you've really struggled with like start with that guy and uh I'll tell you, if you've met with someone and shared in their life and prayed with them and for them and celebrated victories with them and had them pick you up when you're going through a hard time, like, um, man, that's powerful. But, yeah. you know, I have to say that that elder now happens to be one of my closest friends who, who will be a friend for life. Yeah. You know, th- this is someone I just dearly, dearly love, uh, him and his family in, in ways I can't describe. Yeah, yeah. But uh, all that stemmed from me just approaching him in November that year and saying, hey, I need someone to be kind of a prayer partner, spiritual companion, would you be willing to consider? And he was glad to, Mm -hmm. and um, that did a lot of good things. So in the practice of getting with someone like this, this this is an important component of this. Even though I'll say, you know, we're there to work on each other spiritually and encourage each other, specifically with elders, I try very hard to take the posture of saying, you know, I do view you as a shepherd of my soul. Mm -hmm. And I bring up the blind spot thing. I know, like, I just know there are some ways here that I'm probably not doing things as well as I could be doing them. There are probably things you wish you could say to me, but it's hard to know how to bring it up without, you know, worrying about confrontation or how do I bring this up to Mark because he may get upset. Like, I am actively requesting that you tell me that stuff. Yeah. And by keeping that door wide open... I couldn't tell you, um, I mean, my, my tenure here at King's Crossing, I, I'm, I'll am i just not be humble right now. I think we've had a really good experience together. I, I think I've been a good fit for this church. I think they've been a great fit for me. Yeah, I'm so pleased with a lot of the things that we really have done together. You know, it's not its not me, it's its us. All right. You know, yeah. we've done yeah. it together. But um, so much of that has stemmed from, I've got this real rock solid connection to the elders at all times where... Um, you know, if there's going to be a blip on the radar, like he knew me well enough that he could just call me up and be, Hey, you know, Hey, you didn't, we didn't see this coming, but let me get you in on this. Let me know. Let me make sure you know what's going on. Um, they could bring things up to me. There've been some pretty big ideas that I was getting ready to pitch here where, um, you know, dealing with a bunch of guys with a business background and I'm a guy with a ministry background and I would say, okay, here's kind of what I'm wanting. Here's what my goals are. Here's my motives here's what I was thinking of doing. And he would say, okay, I get where you're coming from, but talking to guys like this, you should say it like this, this, and this. Interesting. And so um, a lot of the things I've wanted to push through, and I I watched some of our ministry friends on Facebook groups that we're in, who really get frustrated and struggle with feeling so detached from the leaders. But I'm like, by keeping those doors just super open, it's like we're always working on this stuff together. And by proactively anticipating obstacles or right ways or wrong ways to say things and do things, I think I've had a lot less frustration uh, yeah. in, in how we've gone about things. So I'll say beyond that, that's a, that was a phenomenally healthy practice for me and one elder. Mm-hmm. But it's also an agreement that once we get to December, this was great. We're still always like, you're always welcome to do lunch with me anytime. Right. And we often still will. But I am going to move on and have a new partner for next year. Yeah, And yeah. so I've been here long enough that I have, now we have two new elders we just got in the last year and pandemic and the birth of my first child has made just about everything <laughs> impossible, but all the other elders I have spent an entire year doing lunch with and praying with once a month, somewhere along the way. Mm-hmm. And it is the case that any one of these guys feels like they can call me up anytime and say, Hey, can I come by and chat with you? And yeah. I know them well enough we're close enough to where i'm like if it was a real problem like I, I mean it would be okay for them to bring it up yeah but also like i would have probably known about it already
1: yeah and so like when when they say hey can i swing by real quick or do yeah. you mind if i call you real quick that's not anxiety inducing for you like it like, could be for a lot of
0: folks right yeah not, yeah. not even a little bit yeah, yeah not, not even a little bit like i'm at the point now where i think of the elders as some of my some of my closest friends and I also think what a benefit it has been to our congregation. Like, I, I can't speak for the people here, mm-hmm. but I do think that what happens at the leadership level has a big trickle down to the rest of the congregation. And, um, you know, some of this is like the, the, the Bowen systems theory, but like, you look, to, you look to leaders, and if there's anxiety in a congregation, yeah. if the leader looks rattled, what you assume is, well, I know a little bit. That guy really knows a lot more than I know, yeah. and if he's panicking, I <laughs> yeah. ought to be just losing it, yeah. right? So um, I think that by very actively seeking out peace and unity, I hate to use terms like high levels, but I mean like among among leaders of a congregation, by us having a really peaceful, um, prayer-based, you know, spiritually supportive relationship with each other, mm. Uh, that has done a lot of good, I believe, for our congregation. Like we, we're operating as a unit. It is not the case that I regularly show up at meetings worried about the dynamics of how to try and work around this guy or battle this guy. It's like, yeah, yeah. don't have any of that. Yeah, very very rarely. You know.
1: Something that I think is related to that is um, is relevant not just for elders but really with church members, yeah. you know, kind of at large, is it when you've spent time with somebody like this, regularly getting to know them, regularly investing in them, allowing each of you into each other's lives to be able to see exactly what's going on, maybe not you know, all the deepest, darkest secrets and things like that, sure. but at least having a pretty high degree of, uh, of uh, vulnerability and openness with each other, I think you pave the way for building the kind of relationship to where when... When somebody in that in that mix does blow up at you or, or they do come across as uncharacteristically gruff or something like that, yeah. you probably know them well enough to know that whatever problem appears to have set them off yeah. is probably not the real root mm-hmm. of the problem. Yeah. We've talked about this recently just in our own uh, personal conversations is uh, it, ha- have you have you seen that play out? in uh in your time in churches where you know you've got um you've got somebody they're upset about something come to find out that there's actually more more going on it's the tip of the iceberg yeah is is that something that you can oh, may you know, I mean, talk generally about yeah
0: right? I, I won't share any specific examples um there's a collective sigh of relief right uh, <laughs> yes but I, I, okay so i'll say this and i think it's a true statement and again i'm talking on 17 yeah. years of full-time ministry um 100% of the time, and I've, I've been chewed out several times, mm-hmm. 100% of the times that I have been chewed out over something, I mean, just absolutely got my head bitten off, didn't see it coming. Yeah, The issue I was chewed out about was never actually the issue. Fascinating. Not a single time. Yeah. yeah. When I either took the time to know more about them or dug a little deeper, it has always been the case that, sure, I did some thing and unintentionally, you know, it got taken the wrong way or offended them somehow. And they really went after me, but come to find out, well, it has more to do with some kind of problem circumstance at home, you know, with yeah. a spouse, with children, or something that's just really negative that's weighing on them. And you know, people just carry this tension with them, right. and sometimes you're the you're the lucky vent. Well, as the minister too, um, especially in
1: our in our fellowship, where typically the preaching minister is, he's not given the title of pastor. He's right. not given the um, you know all the um, all the privileges of pastor, right. but definitely given the responsibilities yeah. and duties of pastor, yeah. you you're the you're the front man, right? You're right or wrong, you're the front man, and it's easy for people to associate negative feelings with church, yeah, with you, right? And how uh, it's just so strange that 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 happens. But I mean, like you said, like you mentioned earlier, you and I have you know a number of friends and in, in various. Facebook circles and uh, it really does seem like that is often the case that the problem
0: is not the problem right and you know a similar method to what I've been describing um, my friend uh, Jared Robinson uh, preaches uh, up in Abilene very wise person I, I respect Jared a lot and uh, he talked about um, one time shared kind of a, an experience where, you know, someone was really upset about, I don't know if it was a doctrinal issue or what, you know, whatever the issue was, but he was sharing advice. His father gave him, which was get together with this person for lunch, encourage them to bring in writing exactly the things they're concerned about, the verses that they want you to consider, get them to put it in writing yeah. so that you can really, I mean, you really do need to give it a look, yeah. but as soon as you get together, Take the packet, say, thanks so much for this. I'm going to definitely look it over and then immediately make a pastoral shift and say, "So, man, just, you know, catch me up on you. How are things going? How's your family? Tell me about your background. Like the questions you're asking me at the beginning. Tell me, tell me what's been a blessing to you and your faith. Tell me what led you to where you are. But like make a real pastoral shift. And a lot of times the issue kind of resolves itself. Mm -hmm. But um, it makes a difference, Kevin, uh, some of the stuff you were just sharing, how, Inevitably, we're going to have disagreements, and especially in a transitional season like we're in, where none of us really knows what's coming up next. Right? Pandemic yeah, has thrown like everything into turmoil. We're,
1: we're nearing. We're nearing post-pandemic. Yeah, we're nearing it. We're nearing post-pandemic. We're not there. Uh, you know, Texas has uh, reopened uh, to a significant degree that a lot right. of other states haven't, and so things right. are moving a little bit differently down here than elsewhere. But right. we are nearing a, a, a point where it's kind of like. Well, okay, now, uh, what, what did we used to do? Yeah, right. It's like, we're, where are we?
0: Like, right. it, I, we haven't had this kind of freedom in a year. So, right. So, well, what I'm thinking about is how inevitably we're going to have disagreements, especially when we're in a season where, like, like it or not, things are going to have to change. Yeah. Like, they're just going to have to. And we're going to have to adapt. And it is so different to have a disagreement with someone whose backstory I already know, whose buttons I already know, who I've invested in, not just talking about elder, elders, but but really right. all the church members, by really investing in our relationships, to your point, spending time with each other, it needs to be the case that when we disagree, that the thought of me and you kind of separating from each other sounds painful. Mm-hmm. Like we have enough of a connection to where pulling apart over this issue or whatever it is, would feel like a genuine loss to me and to you. Yeah. And that's a better way to have to disagree with someone. Like there needs to be something at stake because if we just show up, worship together, shake hands, and really we're just people occupying the same space for an hour or two a week, but there's not any depth beyond that, you have a nasty disagreement. It's really, other than me wanting to win, you know, there's not that, I don't feel any sense of loss by you Taking a hike, and yeah. that, that's not what I think church is supposed to be. You,
1: I, I, definitely don't see anywhere in the earliest depictions of the first Christians, mm-hmm. uh, them being okay with just occupying the same space, right, as the people there with them, right. There was, there was definitely something more. I mean, you get, you get to Acts chapter six, and this whole discussion about how these people that were occupying this space with have suddenly realized that, you know, they're, they're not being taken care of adequately. It, it was distribution of food. so it right. wasn't like, hey, this isn't meeting our preferences like, right We're yeah. not being able to eat right because of this. There had to be some kind of really relationship built up. yeah. I suspect if a deeper relationship had existed between you know these folks who were missing out and some of the other folks who were not missing out had a deeper relationship existed between those two groups, we probably wouldn't have had that oversight, right. Probably wouldn't have had that oversight. Let me ask this, sorry, so this is uh, this is kind of a bonus question, but I know you and I have talked about at least these kinds of things before. How ha- how do you think social media has infected our ability to disagree? And I choose the word infected. Right. That might be a loaded question the way it's phrased, but I, I think you and I have pretty similar thoughts on this. Right. What about social media? Does that make it easier to
0: disagree with fe- people here at church? What do you think? Especially if you don't have a relationship with them. Right. I mean, that's that's been my big problem with social media is just arguing with strangers. You right. know, we, we were all figuring it out, you know, in kind of the mid-2000s. And I know goodness I probably need to do a deep dive like to around 2007-2008 and make sure I don't have anything left on there I'd be embarrassed about. (laughs) There's like the great you know snowball fight of 2006 where you would kind of repost things like that on each other's wall. But uh, back at that point in time I think Facebook was still just for college students. Yeah 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 when we got on it you had to have a college email address. Uh no, no offense to the boomers, but it all went downhill once that once that opened up. But, I don't, I don't yeah. know if I can yeah. cut that out in post. So yeah, that's I think okay. Stuck with it. It's okay. Yeah, I, like I said, no offense, but right. uh, yeah, I, I think that's... bless their hearts, but. bless their hearts. No, uh, and it's 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 not it's not just that, but um, um, no, because
1: like all the millennials that are on there now are, are every bit as you know, foolish as you know, yeah any
0: other group. Well, you know, I was talking with with one of our friends uh, named, named Peyton who was saying he feels like. Sometimes with social media, the older generation doesn't understand really what it is or how it works, and therefore uses it badly. Mm -hmm. And mm, like millennials, Gen Z are a little different. Like they grasp what they're doing, but are choosing to use it harmfully.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So both groups are using it badly. Yeah. One is maybe due out of some degree of ignorance or maybe unfamiliarity. Their moms
0: and dads didn't teach them how to use social media when they were growing up. (laughs) Right. We I mean, right? it wasn't a thing. Yeah. So, And when you um, get a radio ad, yeah, That's what, right. what you do. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So man, that's a hard question to answer. There are some ways that social media, I mean, even like being able to share conversations like this, there are yeah. some ways that we can get good ideas, healthy things out to lots of people very mm-hmm. easily. What a blessing. Yeah. I don't want to lose that capability. Right. Yeah. But, um, I have decided that at least on hot-button topics, I remain willing to talk to anyone about anything. Mm-hmm. I really will. And uh, at the same time, I have decided that I basically won't do it on social media. Yeah, I have been part of very, very few conversations about anything related to politics or even church problems. Church yeah. practice. Yeah, church yeah. practice like, seems to very, very rarely... Be something that is uplifting and life giving. It yeah. ends up being some kind of a bashing on this group or bashing on that group. And um, I've decided that for a lot of the really important stuff, I want to do it face to face. Yeah. You know, because I've, in general, I, I think I can talk to most people about even, you know, hot topics. And if we're sitting at a table looking across from each other, it's real different than lobbying insults at strangers uh, over social media.
1: Yeah. it's in- so. It's interesting how. That that physical disconnection from from people
0: mm-hmm.
1: often turns a lot of us into kind of stone cold, you know. I, I don't want to say killers. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, is it any like, different really than road rage? I, <clears throat> I
1: don't know, I don't know I don't that so. idiot I don't is in that, that car, is. but you right. know, yeah. It's like I'm, I'm not I'm not in any kind of relationship with that person other than you know, the fact that they they're driving in a way that angers me, right? You know, this person behaving on social media like a fool, mm-hmm. you know, they're doing essentially the same thing. Right. It's so because of the physical disconnection with, with a lot of these folks, we have um, we've almost lost a, lost a, a touch yeah. of, uh, of, of humanizing yeah. these kinds of folks. And that's, uh, and again, another reason why it's important to do more than just occupy space with people in right. the church that you attend— uh, which brings me again back to that uh, that um, yeah. uh,
0: example from Acts chapter six. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can tell you at our congregation, we got people who feel strongly on both sides of the political aisle that we worship with every Sunday. Even
1: down here in Texas. Yeah, even down here in Texas.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and and I, we are better, we are a better church because both of them are present. Yeah. You know, like they're they're authentic Christian people, oh, and I'm I, glad they're here. Goodness,
1: yeah. yeah. All right, so m- not naming names, right? Not at all. But we can think of uh, we can think of folks that will that will be the first. To volunteer, or the first to cut a check, or mm-hmm. the first to step up and say, "You know, we can do X, Y, and Z, or whatever yep. it is," who who are very strongly politically affiliated, one way or the other. Right. And it's um, man, that that in itself, like you're right, like that is, that is something that has greatly benefited our church. It's almost, almost in spite of those uh, those, you know, extra Christian affiliations, mm-hmm. you've got um. You've got these folks that are, are, are deeply dedicated to, uh, are really to serving. Right. Yeah, to serving. Right. Another question that uh, that I wanted to ask, and this is all kind of related to, you know, what's one piece of advice you'd give for uh, give for mi- young ministers? Um, maybe uh, maybe a handful, maybe two or three big influences on you for ministry. You know, professors, former ministers, stuff like that. Um mm. Basically allowing you to give a shout out to, uh, to some folks that oh, chances man. are I would probably know them as well. And so it's just fun yeah. for me to, to, to get to, to hype these
0: people up. Oh, man. It's like you almost hate to list any at the exclusion of any others. Right. Um, I have to say probably the reason I was able to go into ministry was Bruce McClarty. Okay. Um, yeah. Br- Bruce McClarty and his wife, Ann. I, when I was at Harding, he was still the preacher at uh, the College Church of Christ. This is mm-hmm. before he had gotten involved at Harding you know, yeah. on staff or faculty, whatever the right term would be there. But um, they would do a Wednesday night um, Bible study for junior and senior Bible majors and their significant others. Mm -hmm. And um, it was all all the stuff you didn't get in the classes, right, like he was talking about real practical matters and how to deal with this and what this is like. Sometimes we would split up and Anne would just talk to the the girls and Bruce would talk to the guys. But I know that for my wife, that was kind of the thing she needed because she didn't, she didn't grow up. She didn't in, grow up in church. Yeah. Not, yeah. not particularly it's in church, Sort of no, nominally related n- to Nominally a, religious, but certainly yeah. not a, a member of Churches of Christ. Yeah. So I mean, this is a whole, this is a whole culture to, to try and figure wow. out. And um, not to mention a, a, a totally different country a, as well. National culture yeah. too. Yeah. 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 Um, and she's, she's done great with it and has embraced it. But um, I know that I would have to, I would have to thank Bruce and Anne for, um, just significant ways that they helped us out. I um, I would have to say also, I mean, like Randy Harris being our preacher growing up, yeah. Randy's Randy's been a huge influence in a lot of people's lives. Um, Gary Holloway, uh, who was the first professor I had for spiritual formation, um, Gary has been a really good source of wisdom for me as well. Yeah. Uh, he, he's the guy who first introduced me in a more extended way to like contemplative spirituality, which... Mm-hmm. I credit with I don't want to say saving my soul, but like at a time that I was really kind of drying up on the vine and had no idea what to do, yeah he's the guy who kind of guided me into some new kinds of practices that could help me rethink how I approach reading scripture, how I approach praying and found there was like a place for me that kind of worked for me what 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 would like spiritual direction what would you call it yeah well, um I would say like spiritual formation spiritual contemplative formation. contemplative spirituality um, <laughs> I think for me it was kind of the uh, the way that we typically prayed, like in Sunday school growing up, or even at, at school. I was going to a private Christian school. Like prayer ended up being God's to do list. So what do we need to pray about? <laughs> well, we got to fix this, 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 this. God, you know, do it. And um, I've never heard it put quite that way, but I, you know what I mean. I've prayed so many of those prayers myself. Right, yeah. and I was at a I was at a point early in my ministry at Rosebud. So this is a weird thing. At no point did I ever really feel distant from God, but right. I went for a period of years where I basically never prayed personally. Mm-hmm. Like I would pray when I was with people, for people, yeah. but in terms of like me praying on my own, since that was pretty much my going model and I had become unsatisfied with it, I kind of didn't know what else to do. Yeah, And so um, th- a lot of that relates to, you know, th- anybody listening to us from Donaldson might remember Dan Midget, but um, yeah. Yeah. Th- the biggest the biggest faith crisis of my life was when I was, you know, around a junior in high school and Dan had a brain tumor and I was reading those verses about how, you know, praying in faith and believe and don't doubt and you'll receive. And so I was really like at home as a teenager praying daily, fervently that he would be healed of this brain tumor Mm -hmm. thinking the trick is you can't allow yourself to doubt. So I was absolutely believing that God was going to do it. And then he died of a brain tumor
1: at 55.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He was young. Yeah. And, uh, despite the fact that I've had other hard losses since then, plenty of them, um, something about that one, because I had prayed so much, you know, I wasn't going to like, I didn't want to turn my back on God, but I was kind of looking at prayer and saying, Oh, okay whatever prayer is, it's apparently not this. And however it works to pray to God about your life, apparently this isn't how that functions. Did you ever think that it didn't work? Yeah. That thought crossed your mind? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's like, basically, it just sent me into a tailspin of confusion. I I didn't know how to pray anymore because um, the one thing I was confident of when I was like in my late teens, early 20s, is like, I know that I'm not that bright. So I don't know what's best for my life. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what I need. And if all I know how to do in prayer is to ask God to give me stuff, then I'm like, why Why don't I just pray and say, God, you know what I need better than I do. So you just give it to me. Mm-hmm. But but that was also my way of kind of avoiding like petitionary prayer, even though I think Jesus teaches us to do that. you yeah. know, Petitionary prayer, I think it's a scriptural thing to do. I continue. I will, as long as I live, I will have a hard time praying in that way.
1: Yeah. For our audience, yeah. uh, can you briefly explain petitionary prayer? Yeah,
0: petitionary prayer is just simply when you're praying and asking God to do something. Mm-hmm. You know, God, we got this concern. and it's like generally the way that people pray. And Yeah, the way that we pray in most church contexts. Again, here's God's to-do list. Here's all the stuff I wish God would do. Yeah. Uh, and I got really uncomfortable with that. And mm-hmm. so um, once I took Gary's class at Lipscomb in spiritual formation, and I started learning about um, ways of thinking about prayer beyond just asking God for things Uh, making movements in prayer from kind of an Eastern tradition where like um, rather than using all the words I can come up with to describe God, you know, he's father, savior, master, Lord, you know, you can kind of like proliferate words, but you know, the the Eastern tradition has a tendency to um, do what they would call apophatic movement, which is where you're kind of letting go of. So you might would say I could call God my father, but, He's so much more than my father, and the word doesn't even do him justice. And so one by one kind of letting go of whatever I would try to say about God somehow leads me to a place of of deeper awe of his majesty because I have no words to say, yet I'm completely amazed by his presence. And those kinds of movements... It gave me—not not that I think that should be an exclusive way that you do right, personal right. reflection. Yeah, not to the I, exclusion not, of other And I'm minds. not down on petitionary prayer. It's sure. made a huge difference in my life. I, I encourage people to practice it. I just have a hard time with it. Mm-hmm. But um, Gary gave me some different tools. And also, I mentioned earlier the practice of a rule of life. That's another Gary Holloway thing. And I know it's it's not just a Gary thing. It's a big thing. But he's the one who taught me how to do it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, if I, were, if I were listing people who've been— um, really impactful. I would have to say Bruce McClarty and uh, Gary Holloway are two yeah. that um, you know, per- permanently impacted my uh, Christian walk in uh, ministry. Yeah. To the point where you ended up writing a, a dissertation, right, on spiritual formation? So, okay, li- the reason I did the Doctor of Ministry at Lipscomb was because I was mostly interested in spiritual formation. Mm-hmm. So the direction that I went with my dissertation um, Lipscomb has a dual emphasis. Frankly, it was really more of a triple emphasis because you had a spiritual formation, missional leadership, missional theology, and then there's a huge preaching homiletics component. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's not the one that's formally built, but you got to do a ton of stuff with sure. it. Sure. But um, the, the spiritual formation stuff is what got me in that program because I just wanted to know more. I mm-hmm. wanted to go deeper. I wanted to to. Understand it better, and then I ended up doing my dissertation more along the missional theology route. You know, I I, uh, I decided from the beginning I needed to have something I really cared about. I wanted to contribute to the greater body of research yeah. on mm-hmm. and uh, short term missions were that thing for me. You know, it was on a short term mission trip that I mentioned I had someone really kind of affirm me and yeah. led me into ministry. So um, I, I wanted to do some research related to short term missions, I had intended to do something with spiritual formation, ended up going more the direction of uh, you know, kind of the missional church movement, and asking questions about like, how can our churches involve in uh, a short term mission trip, help them to be formed more missionally? So that was that was kind of where I ended up going yeah but the spiritual formation has remained a huge part of my uh, practices and, and I had the benefit also after I did my d men, um, the Cybert Institute at uh, Abilene Christian University, mm-hmm. uh, Randy Harris and, and uh, Carson Reed um, they've got a, they've got kind of a special program for what they would call like senior ministers preaching ministers in the first half of their career where it was additional spiritual formation stuff so beyond getting the doctorate, I got to spend two years, you know, going twice a year with another group of ministers. Where Randy, who's a real you know, kind of a guru on this stuff, he's yeah. really good on this stuff, and uh, you know, getting to work with a program that he was kind of custom building, and so uh, all that all that has helped me, and I'm uh, glad to be able to practice yeah. it and occasionally share it. And related to that, you have a practice
1: where you you intentionally kind of disconnect and withdraw for a, for about a week or so right. from from the. Not from the life here of the congregation, but from yeah. the day-to-day grind of the congregation, to where yeah. you can really focus on um, on prayer and reflection and, and yeah. reading and things like that. Um, yeah, would oh, you get one of those coming up? Right next
0: week. Yeah, next week. At the time of recording, next week. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the, the start, the day after Easter. I'm, yeah. I'm heading over uh, to. To, to spend some time um, doing that stuff, and he's um, not going to tell you where, so you can't find him. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, yeah. But uh, no, I will, I'll say. So here's a piece of advice for anyone listening in: if you would like to get a new minister without having to fire and hire someone, let them refresh themselves. Wow, yeah, you know. Uh, and so uh, this, it's like, was, if you're working in a church and you uh,
1: you yeah, you're thinking man, you know, we would love for our, we've got this guy here. He started off so well. Yeah. What's the deal? Yeah. You're saying, you know, give him a week. Yeah. Like a week, right? Not a month. He doesn't need a semester long sabbatical. Not that I'm opposed to that. (laughs) But uh, yeah. All expenses paid. Yeah. Yeah. But like try it, try a week. And, uh, you know, encourage them to actually take this.
0: Yeah. And I would say, uh, you know, for anyone who wants to try something like this, Um, it's, it's helpful to go in with a plan, Mm -hmm. like don't make the whole thing, just reading books, even though I love doing that. But, um, so so I fortunately was able to work this out with the elders. It's a good conversation to have when you're starting a new position, Yeah, but uh, that was part of my agreement with the elders here that every year. Ideally in the fall, this last fall, the plans all got messed up, so I'm kind of making it up now, and I'll do potential. this Potential COVID scare. and everything else. I was supposed to be off that week, and I ended up being the only minister on staff who was (laughs) present that Sunday. Everybody else was in quarantine. Who was able to come because all of us were potentially exposed. Right. Thankfully, none of us were, but still. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so um, basically I'll have a week, a year, where I don't have any kind of preaching, teaching, visiting, like I have no expectations placed on me whatsoever other than I'm going to pull back and I really do dedicate a significant amount of time to prayer. Um, Sometimes I do some book study, but I really do a lot more kind of meditative readings of Scripture. So instead of me like whipping out all my Greek and Hebrew tools, Mm -hmm. it's like I often will even find a single passage of Scripture. You know, we get so greedy when we read the Bible where it's all about like, How can I make sure I read the whole thing through and consume more and more or finish the book? Um, I found it's really healthy to go the opposite direction and say, you know what? No matter how much I'd rather read three books of the Bible, today I get one chapter and I'm going to read that thing over and over and over and over. And uh, in fact, the sermon series I just preached a few weeks ago, I did these three psalms back to back. Mm -hmm. That was what came out of my last uh, attempted sabbatical in the fall. I just, I've gravitated to these three those are the only three passages of Scripture that I read the whole week. I, I read each of them at least dozens of times. And I'm talking along with periods of intense, you know, asking God to show me what He wants me to see in this text, uh, trying to listen not just with my mind but also with my heart, uh, looking for how it could form me. And yeah. um, it's it's a great way to allow God to be working on you. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, setting aside a time. One of the things I'm trying to do with this too, Kevin, is like, I think it's unfortunate that people would look at me and say, well, you're a minister, so you perhaps need that time to recharge. I'm like, I don't think ministers are the only people who are Christians who need to have intentional times of pulling back and really working on their time with God. Like, could you take half a day off of work, find a really quiet place and just you and your Bible and pray and like intentionally take some time off, yeah. you know, leave leave all the tech behind and just you and God and see what happens, yeah. um, or maybe if yeah. like, or maybe if taking
1: off work is uh, yeah. is not going to work. One something like you know, a couple of days, a couple of days of a week, or like two or three nights. Um, you know, yeah. turn off the TV, yeah. Set the phone in the other room. I mean, sure, emergencies happen. You know, if yeah. you need to be reached, that's fine. But right. like set that stuff down, and then like sure. just take take that you know two or three hours at night, and yeah. then two or three hours the next night. Yeah. And see what you can do with that that's I would say
0: whatever you can do is better than not doing it it certainly would seem worth, worth. doing right and, and you're right with family circumstances it, it's it's different for everybody sure yeah. but yeah I think really intentionally carving out time and and when I when I go uh, on this sabbatical I invite the congregation I've got a lot of them who I know really do pray for me uh, mm-hmm. during that week asking God to guide me and sh- kind of help me to know what our congregation is um, needs a lot of, basically, I spend the first half of this time deeply in contemplation and reflecting on scripture. I move toward trying to put together some loose plans for what I might preach or teach the next year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So what is, to like, to kind of bring some, bring this home a little bit. Yeah. The very first thing, and you mentioned this first practice of um, recognizing your need for growth, and then therefore... You know, getting a regular kind of lunch get together with um, you know w- with one elder once a month for mm. a year, that is very clearly an, an example of investing in the people around you. Yep. This uh, week sabbatical, uh, and I say sabbatical because it's not a semester long or whatever, but like this week long um, period of time and reflection, that is very clearly investing in yourself. As you got investing in others, investing in yourself. And I think one of the reasons why I, I can imagine that some ministers might even be anxious hmm. about doing that. Oh, yeah, is because we have consistently. I think it's a cultural value, yeah, um, which has very clearly permeated within into church cultures as well. This danger of overwork. Oh, that's the truth, man. Yeah, it, like people, people to say, He was dedicated. You know, as a minister, you know, I'd, I'd drive past and I'd it's see his I'd office light on at night. It's, it's an stuff idol. Like
0: that. So, so I mean, in a culture that overdoes it. it's dangerous. It is. It's, it, dangerous. it's It's not healthy. But when we treat overcommittedness as a virtue, like when yeah. you want to say you're doing well, how are you doing, Kevin? Oh, I'm keeping busy. Staying busy. Staying busy. Staying on top of it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so that that was, for me, anxiety-inducing, especially my first two years here because I started in September. My first sabbatical week was in, like, October, November. Mm -hmm. So I had not even been here a quarter when I did it for the first time, and I had several people make the same joke, and I know it was a joke, but it also was a little (laughs) revealing, which was, so you're going to go spend a week, like, praying? And the joke was, it must be nice to get paid not to do anything. And I'm like, okay, I'm I'm choosing not to read too much into that. Yeah the ability to say that, what does that say about the way we value prayer? I guess we forgot about Being those times
1: God. when Jesus would spend all night in prayer. Yeah.
0: Must be nice not to do anything all night, Jesus.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's see you say that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right.
0: No. And, and I think that I, I'm just kind of curious. I, I don't know if many people have even attempted to pray. If you've never tried to pray an hour, two hours, three hours at a time, man, it's hard. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it's, it's nourishing and, uh, helpful but man doing the work of prayer this is hard work mm-hmm. i mean i think paul's the one who's telling timothy who like you know some of the older widows like part of the work they do for the church is that they're the ones constantly lifting everyone up in prayer because yeah. it's a it's a big job uh yeah. so yeah i think that uh it was anxiety inducing but i know that at this point i know the church here like most of the members know that i do this and are supportive of it but i also think. um what I hope would happen is that some of them also would choose to view that as a, an example they should follow. Yeah, I really am trying to lead by example in this regard, and so, you know, even things like Tuesdays are my days off. I try as hard as I can not to work on Tuesdays. Yep, and I'm like, I think that um, I think that people need an example of me trying to refuse to participate in this culture of over busyness, overworking, overdoing it. And so by me pulling back that week of the year, I mean, again, the first couple of years, it was very anxiety inducing because it's like, they're going to think I'm, I'm a lazy minister. Right. And, but I had to choose that, like, I made an effort to choose this is the kind of person I'm trying to be. Mm -hmm. Their perceptions will have to catch up, you know, like, but, but I, I know I want to be the kind of person who pulls back and prays, that's how I'm choosing to structure my life and my devotional life and yeah I hope that people will be respectful of that
1: I, th- I think I think I understood you correctly there when you said their perception of me is going to catch up you you're giving them the benefit of the doubt that eventually they'll they'll see what's going on yeah and ideally the benefits will um, you know, will become apparent. I'm reminded too of, uh, of the current preacher at our home congregation Russ King oh man yeah. he. Uh, I, I remember I could, being. There. I could list
0: him as an example too. It, Probably should have. It, you know.
1: Exactly. Um, I remember being there. Just, I just happened to be there one Sunday when he was there. I think relatively, relatively early in his tenure there, and um, he he had said something about the fact of you know, like why he was preaching three out of four Sundays a month or something along those lines. I was like, yeah, look, this is this is not a sprint. Yeah, you know, I'm intending yeah. for for this to be a marathon. Right. And so, like, I. I am going to take off one Sunday a month, at least at that point in time he was right. doing that. I don't know if that's still currently what he's yeah. doing, but I, I, I heard him say that, and I thought, wow, that actually makes a lot of sense. He's expecting to be here for the long haul, so why, why wouldn't he not beat himself up right. in the beginning? And he's avoiding this—and, um, like, Russ had put in his time, too. I mean, goodness, you know, he's—he yeah. he, he was planning on doing that. I, I, my understanding is I think he was planning on, on being there, and at least until retirement age or until right. he, he would retire. There was no reason for him to, to feel like he needed to cave, to overwork, because he wasn't a young minister who was trying to prove trying himself. To prove
0: himself. That's one of the benefits of getting a little older, Kevin, is like, <laughs> you know, when you're in your Maybe 20s, someday I'll be 40. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, when you, you know, you're in your 20s and it's like you got to, you do, you got to feel the need to prove yourself and I've got to work harder and do more and not that you don't still want to work hard, but it's also like, you know, uh, not everything has to get done yeah. today and you can still be effective and impactful even if you don't get absolutely
1: everything done that you envision. Yeah. Yeah. I've tried to start making my daily to- do lists shorter, yeah, because I know it's not that I'm going to do less things, mm-hmm. but a few things will come up, yeah, and it'll be necessary for me to handle those things right and then instead of beating myself up about how I didn't get you know I only got four of my seven things done. Mm. you know I could I could not get I could create a list of four and get three of those things done, right. knowing that I still did other things, knowing that I still had important conversations yeah. with the people
0: who are regularly in and out of our office here at church. Right. You know, some, something I've appreciated here, Kevin, is that, um, and I, I told the elders, like, my I do think I burned myself out a good bit uh, at Old Hickory. I really did. And I, I've told my elders here coming into it, like, my tendency is to raise my hand too often and do too much. And mm-hmm. I do think it's true that in ministry, you generally have either workaholics or lazy people hiding out. Like we're usually one or the other, most often I think we tend towards being workaholics. And so I'd ask them from the beginning to kind of protect me from my tendency to do that. And fortunately, I say to their credit, they've really worked at that. Mm -hmm. So when I say, hey, you know, we need to do such and such, I'm thinking about, and they're like, that could probably wait. Or don't you have this other thing? Or do you really have time for this? Or is that really yours to worry about? that's good, um, that's good. Yeah. I think that especially in this the time that we're talking, you know, kind of getting close to the end of the pandemic, uh, John Dobbs uh, wrote a really good article that got a lot of traction back several months ago. The about, coming
1: pastoral crash, yeah,
0: right? Yeah.
1: And, and for those who don't know, John Dobbs is a minister uh, somewhere
0: out west. I think is he's... That right? Oh, it's embarrassing. He's actually. on no, Facebook. I want to say it's the four, four, four cent- <laughs> Forsyth. Forsyth. I don't know how to... I have to look it up. He's a great, he's a great minister... Uh, he has a blog called, I think, Out Here Hope Remains. Yeah. But we'll,
1: we'll get the production assistant on that. That's right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Who's— but, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. He, he will—but um, you could Google it and probably find this. It, it got— The got, coming
1: pastoral crash. Yeah, coming that's, pastoral that's
0: the crash or coming mis- ministerial crash. Yeah, but, something along those lines. But, man, um, I've, I've, I pulled that one back up a few weeks ago, and he's so right. Like I, You and I were talking about this. How when was that originally published? Uh, it was pretty early in the pandemic. I, I want to say like summer of last year. It, yeah,
1: which yeah, quarant- quarantine measures hit around March. Yeah, yeah. and
0: so March, April, May, March. June, like somewhere around there. Like you, you're you're pretty fresh into this. Right, last year. Uh, so he was he was very insightful, um, a sort of prophetic type word. I mean, he really was yeah. speaking into what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I know you and I have talked about this. How uh, as we've been dis- discussing today, I'm one who has been very active. In trying to create routines in my life that lead to to personal health and also congregational health, we have a wonderful support system in that we got you know elders that love us and support us. We have good relationships with them. Obviously, we enjoy being co-workers, and the, the others we got on staff are are all phenomenal. Like I, I love I love coming to work every day. Yeah. Even with all that in place, I, I don't know about you, but I just I feel exhausted. Yeah, uh, th- this last year of suddenly. Everything we've been taught about how to do ministry, you can't do any of it because you can't be around people. Can't be around people. And then all of a sudden, I mean... I go from my son being born one week to running a TV production studio from my you know, <laughs> from your office from my office at yeah. home the next week the other studio right the other <laughs> studio which fortunately I had been dabbling in, in podcasting there's my podcast commercial but Kingdom Up Kingdom Growth check com. it out check it out
1: find it on Facebook YouTube yeah. uh, and yeah. KingdomUpGrowth.com. dot Mark's yeah. got some good stuff he needs to get back on it yeah but yeah he just had a kid guys last year so right. can
0: give him a little bit of break right yeah we we've been. Not slacking off. It's just been been busy, right? Yeah. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, I think that uh, even with all the good things we have in place, it's been uh, it, it's been really hard on everyone. Ministers had to become TV producers
1: overnight. I've, right. I've mentioned that I think in the, at least one other time on the podcast before, yeah. and I said that a couple times last year. It's like suddenly, like I had some prior experience in working with iMovie, which is the native video editing app yeah. for for uh, Apple yeah. products. But my, my prior experience of that had come from years earlier when I was editing Ultimate Frisbee highlight videos in Luke yep. Dockery's apartment, <laughs> the guy that I went to college with. So right. it's like, you know, it's a little but, bit different putting together a church worship service yeah. than yeah. it is an Ultimate
0: Frisbee highlight video. Sure. Well, and, and I mean, even things like, well, how do you do communion? Like for us, that's a big thing. Oh, yeah. What is that supposed to look like? Yeah. And how yeah. do you work in prayers? And how do I try to include people? And so many of our people who'd be willing to do things like lead prayers are super non-techie. Right. So, you know, like this ended up being, a, it goes beyond just trying to do video production. It's its like, it's not just ministers. I know it's everybody who's really been in a, in a tough season, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's ever been more important that churches, like you're, your minister is probably not going to have the courage to approach talking about that power dynamic. It's yeah. pretty hard to go to elders and say, man, I really just need, like, I just need a, I need a breather. Yeah. I need something to recharge. Um, it's hard to ask for that, especially if it's not built into your expectations. Right. And because it, but, it, it, because we have a lot of churches haven't been meeting,
1: some still haven't met in person, but a lot wow. of churches haven't been meeting consistently for, or they weren't meeting consistently for six plus months. And then only, you know, recently, you know, distance meetings and things like that, it, the perception is, well, you haven't been
0: doing anything. Right. Oh man. Yeah. And, and, and just being candid, I've, I've gotten a few snide comments along the way too. Yeah. I wish I could say, you know, everybody's hundred percent supportive. Most are, most have been really appreciative and yeah. all, but, but yeah, people are all struggling. And we were talking about angry people earlier. Like sometimes people just Say thanks because I need a place right. to vent. But, and a lot of times, you know, I've never been in—I've never been in a worse position to try and receive venting than I have been <laughs> this, last year. this last year. You know, it's—it's like it's harder for us to, to endure what we normally could just roll with.
1: Yeah, and like we were saying earlier, almost always, but for you, hundred percent. You know, the problem that leads mm-hmm. somebody to blow up at you is not the real problem. Mm-hmm. Everybody has been exasperated in one way or another with the difficulties of not being able to be connected in ways that we yeah. really took for granted. Right. Mark, as we draw, uh, draw near to our, our time to uh, together today, is there anything else to, uh, you're thinking about and want to mention, anything uh, anything that you want to wrap us up with before we uh, close today? Oh, man.
0: I, I guess just to, hi- to, to highlight what I've been talking about, time spent intentionally trying to move yourself um, closer to God, or I should say putting yourself in a position that God can move you closer to him. Right. Yeah. I do think that spiritual growth is is a work of the spirit and the work of God in you. So trying to make spaces where God can do that and also making yourself receptive and open to genuine connections with the people you serve. Um, that is not time wasted. Yeah. All right. Mark. Really appreciate it, man. It's, it's been a, a blast. Treat. This is the first time I've gotten to do an in-person podcast. You know, like do some of this stuff yeah. too, but normally I'm staring at a camera lens, you know, trying to simulate like we're looking at each other. <laughs> right. It's nice to actually have somebody right. to look at.
1: Right, Yeah. You know? Yeah, agreed. So, man, we appreciate it. We'll yep. uh, we'll definitely have you on again sometime. Sure, anytime. Especially because I could I could literally walk to your house, or I could uh, like toss a paper wad from my office to your yeah. office. Yeah, <laughs> so, hey,
0: turn the stereo down. Yeah, yeah like right. The, Actually,
1: your stereo system in your office is pretty sweet. So um, probably better than it ought to be. I've got a couple yeah. of brothers who would find it pretty rad because yeah. you've got an actual record player in there. Yeah, it, it'd be it'd be pretty sweet. Right, so, Mark, take care, man. We'll see you next time. See ya.